So you know I'm beginning to start part two of this new series on evangelism. Uh, will be a five-part series, and I believe that this is important for us as a church, especially so going into a new building, because I believe that we are going to see a whole new group of people come to our church. And I want you to be prepared to greet them and to love them and to affirm them. And they may not speak like you. They may not look like you. But I want you to know that God expects you to love them in every possible way. And we're preparing for an influx of children into our nurseries. Uh, and I believe God will do that as well. So this church will take on an entirely different kind of look. Uh, and I believe this is exactly what God has prepared us to do in every possible way. Now, as we study evangelism, uh, this really is a series of lessons, not just about the way God thinks, but the way he expects us to react. How does he expect us to react? How do we observe this commandment? It's important for us. Uh, and I have to say that, uh, unfortunately, I grew up in a church that didn't put a primary effort on evangelism. We expected ourselves, we looked at ourselves as living lives that would lead others to Christ, but we never really truly articulated the responsibility of speaking on an actual active basis about Jesus to people who needed to hear it. And that's something that I'm putting uh, really an attention on in this church. And so one of the things that you realize is that the primary way God has chosen to reach the lost people is through you. He expects to reach people through people. Now, this is an amazing thing because God could have designated angels. They would have done a wonderful job. God could also have uttered his own voice in a worldwide message. Can you imagine? Telling people of the world to come to faith. But he didn't do that. Instead, he takes flawed people like us and lets us give the greatest message in the history of the world. And that in itself inherently is a message about how great God is. That he would use us as meaningless as we are and as flawed as we are to deliver this great message of hope. And so what I would say is this, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not do that. Uh, we need to be prepared, and we're going to make sure you're prepared. Uh, but so many of us, you see, have become fearful over time about doing this because we have overcomplicated it. So we're going to focus on that today. So we must first understand that we are the ones who are called to go out to the world and deliver the Great Commission. So this first sermon point in the message is, the Great Commission is a command. It's not a suggestion. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, it's on the board. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. That was Jesus' very clear command to us. 
That's your responsibility. Teach them. Tell them about Jesus. Let them know what it means to follow Jesus. No one is exempt from this command. And I say that to people who say, well, I can't speak. Uh, I can't evangelize. I'm not a preacher. No, but you can deliver a message of love and hope and affirmation. That you can do, and that's part of understanding what evangelism is about. Uh, And so these words are clearly a command. If you go back to the original Greek and look at it, you will see this. Jesus didn't say, you know, if you have some extra time, a few minutes, you're not busy, it'd be good if you could go out and do this. He didn't say that at all. He made this a primary command. I don't care where you are in life. This is your responsibility. 24 hours a day, wherever you are, wherever I have placed you, whoever comes in contact, this is clearly a direct commandment from God. And furthermore, it should be our joy and privilege to follow this command. I have to say that every day in my life, I am so filled with joy that God would call me to be the pastor of this church, that he would give me this responsibility. You also should be filled with joy that God has called you to be here. And now here's your chance to pay back, to pay it forward. Yes, God saved you, and now why not deliver to people who are lost what you have so that they may understand what it's like to walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, this, you see, is all about understanding that the Lord has chosen us to produce spiritual fruit. Look at John 15, verse 8, which is on the screen. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's the essence of being called by God, that your life demonstrates the fruit that God has given you, the spiritual fruit, so that when people see you, they see your life, they know there's something different about you. So what is this fruit here that Jesus has called us to bear? What is it here? Well, living a godly life, living a holy life, you see, is bearing fruit. However, winning others to Jesus Christ And helping them to grow is also bearing spiritual fruit. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 on this issue. It makes it very clear. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. The fruit of the righteous, and that's you. You're righteous. You've been saved. The fruit of your life is a tree of life. It's the message of salvation. That's the nature of who God has called you to be. Now, the Great Commission has never been called the Great Suggestion. Although, if you go to churches all over America, I would say that in a variety of them, that's what you're going to hear, a suggestion. Well, this is no mere suggestion. You come to this church, and you know I preach right out of the Bible. I preach the unadulterated word of God. You're unhappy with anything I preach? Take it up with him. (laughs) Him, not me. I'm merely the messenger. And so if I am, you see, a true disciple of the Lord, if I am, I must bring in other disciples. I must bring them in. If I'm not bringing in 
other disciples, then I'm really not being a true disciple of the Lord. Now, while it may be true that not every believer is a gifted evangelist, it is also true that every believer is called to evangelism. And so we're going to discuss this dichotomy this morning. The fact that you may not have the gift to be an evangelist, yet God has called you to deliver the message of salvation. It's important that we understand that. So this brings us to the second great issue of evangelism. Where, where, you see, are we to preach the message? Where? Well, the simple answer is everywhere, every place. 24 hours a day, no matter where you are. Uh, We are to go throughout the entire world making new disciples for Christ. I told you last week I was in an elevator with my wife in Chicago. And as we went between floors, we talked about Jesus. How about that? So much so that the people that we enacted wanted to come to our room and have a further discussion because God has touched their heart. You can be in a hospital room and you can talk about Jesus. You can be in your country club And you can talk about Jesus. Yes, even where you play golf, can you imagine? All right? You can talk about Jesus. It never ends. It goes on forever if you are prepared to talk about Jesus. And so what did Jesus mean when he said you are to go and make disciples? What does the term make disciples mean in terms of how Jesus was describing it? Well, simply put... It means to teach them to observe what Jesus taught, what he commanded. That's what a disciple is. Are you teaching them about the words of Christ? It is to live your faith in this world. Now, the sermon point here is this. God uses flawed people to deliver his message. How amazing is it that God uses flawed people to spread the very message of eternity? I'm confounded by that, by, by the graciousness and love of God. But you see, using flawed people is inherently a message in itself, meaning this is how great your God is. He can take this miserable lump of clay and let this lump of clay deliver the greatest message in the history of the world. That's God. You understand? That's God. That's not something we would ever do. We would never do that. And so the question is this, why are we to do this? Why are we to do this? God has chosen us people, flawed people, to deliver the message. You can look at a very good explanation of this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It'll be on the board. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of the ones who bring good news good news. That's what God is telling you here, that that's how people will hear. That's how they will come to faith. They will hear it when you preach the good news, when you articulate the nature of salvation. Now, some of us, you see, would argue that we are involved in what's referred to as life 
style evangelism, meaning that people look at your godly life and are drawn to Jesus by that. And certainly there's some merit in that. Uh, That may be true in some instances. But at the same time, even though people look at your life and are drawn by what you're doing with your life, you still need to verbalize what Jesus is doing and what he has done for you. You need to articulate your faith. That's what this is about, the articulation of your faith. Now, a good example of this, you see, is found in Scripture in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, who was reading that great chapter on Christ in Isaiah 53 the suffering servant. And he did not understand it. He had just come from Jerusalem. Uh, And so he's reading it, and he did not understand it. And so the evangelist Philip comes up besides the chariot, approaches it, and asks if he understood what he was reading. Now, how many of us would do that? How many of us would look at a high governmental official reading a Bible and walk up to him and say, "Do do you know what you're reading? Think about it. Do you know what you're reading? And yet the Lord pushed him to do that. The Holy Spirit commanded. And what you see here is that the Ethiopian eunuch said, no, how can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? That's you. That's your role. God has called you to explain the scriptures to people that don't understand it. How can I unless someone guides me? This is a poignant reminder of what God expects us to do. Someone must guide and teach the lost. That's evangelism. You understand? That's evangelism. This is the role he has assigned to us. Now, the sermon point next is we must have a heart for the lost. You must have a heart for the lost. And I'm sorry to say that I believe that a lot of us don't have a heart for the lost. Uh, We have a hard time separating sin from the sinner. We look at a lot of these people and, and we see them as enemies, different from us, and we don't really have a sense of urgency to go out and deliver the message of salvation. But you have to have a burden for these people. When you see them, you have to recognize that they're dead people walking, that their lives are consumed in unhappiness, and that the only way that they can come to a happy life is to have Jesus Christ in every aspect of that life. And so what do we have to say? Sometimes we see them as the enemy rather than people who are trapped in sin. And so I would encourage you, Uh, as you step out in faith now, especially as we walk into this new church, that you're going to come across people like this. Uh, And I want you to be prepared because my feeling about this is that we can't save people if we leave them at the curb. We got to bring them in the church. You understand? What does that mean? That means that there'll be some people that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't act like you, and yet God wants them in the church. Because if we're going to change them, God is going to change them through the Holy Spirit inside the church. You understand? And that's about all of the issues surrounding us in the world, all of the sin genderfied issues that you see now in the world. We can't save them on the curb. And some of us would say, leave them on the curb. I say, no, break the walls down and bring them in 
They have to come in in every possible way. Jesus made this clear early on in his ministry as he sent out 70 new disciples into the world to go and talk to the world, to prepare the world for his coming. Look at 10, Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is analogous to us today. I would ask God to send out the workers from this harvest. Send out the workers here from this church to go out. Just like the 70 who were sent out preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus. That's our role. To let people know Jesus is coming. This is what we have to do. Be prepared for his return. It's our responsibility. Jesus referred to these very critical times back then and now in John 4, verse 35, where he said, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at these fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, in these words, you see the real heart of Jesus. Now, this was uttered uh, during the time of the Samaritan woman coming to faith as the disciples came back, as the Samaritan woman went back to the township and told them that she had come face to face with the Messiah, and the entire town comes out, even though they reviled her, came out to meet Jesus, and the entire town would be saved by this one woman through Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to his disciples, open your eyes, look at the harvest, look at them coming. This is the harvest of God. Uh, And so you see, it's an object lesson for us in every possible way. This incident, theologian tells us, us, took place in December, which was four full months before the actual harvest would be due in April. But the point of what Jesus was saying, I don't care when you think the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready now, even four months early, because God has decreed it in every way. And so he impressed the urgency, you see, of reaching out to the lost, to the disciples right there with the Samaritan woman. The spiritual fields were white, but they were ready for harvest. All the disciples had to do was lift up their heads and look. And I would say that's what we have to do. Lift up your heads and look. Look about Look at the people you're working with. Look at the people that you go to church with. Look at the people that are in the marketplace. Look at the people in the country club. Look at the people in the restaurant. Look at every one of these people that you see as desperately needing Christ and have that sense of urgency in your heart. The Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion towards the multitudes. He saw the desperate need. He knew that they were dead people walking. He had incredible compassion and love. And so if we are going to reflect the heart of God, then we have to care about people. And I would ask you that. Do you care about people? And I would say, this is not just about people out in the street. It's people in the church. Do you care about people in the church? Do you look for people who may be hurting in the church? Do you look for a a chance when you can hug them and affirm them and tell them that they're needed and they're loved? And yes, 
even people in the church. We need to understand this in every possible way. And so Jesus tells the disciples here uh, that, that the, the one who reaps uh, is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. Wages are being paid for the one who reaps. Uh, and they have a responsibility to harvest the souls. They would receive their wages, you see, uh, the rewarding of gathering fruit for eternity in the spiritual realm, even though one may sow and another may reap. And I want to talk to you about that. One may sow and another may reap. You see, they, when those townspeople came out to Jesus, other people had sown. Other people had sown. Certainly, they had reflected on the works of Moses uh, in the, the first five books of the Bible. They had been prepared. And so now Jesus was effectively harvesting what others had sown. And he was showing that to the disciple. And we need to be aware of that. Someone else may have sown, but you reap. You know, there's, there was a study once done about how many times it takes to engage someone to salvation. And I believe the conclusion was that on average, it was 37 times. 37 times someone had to be spoken to uh, about salvation. And of course, then the 38th time, they come to faith. Well, don't think that the 38th time, that person gets all the glory for bringing it in. All of those people, you see, all of those efforts are all part of the glory of God. And so this is important for us. Uh, in the case of the Samaritan woman and the townspeople, Jesus sent them to reap what others had sown. That's important to know also. Now, there's another important point to this subsection, and that is to see the import of what that Samaritan woman did. Not only did she come to faith, and she was the first non-Jew that we know of that had come to faith in Scripture, but also the entire townspeople came to faith through her. God used her. And that reminds me of the story of Billy Graham's sister, who was asked at one point rhetorically, who did she think was the greatest evangelist, missionary in the history of the world? And they thought the answer would be, well, my brother. Instead, she said, no, the farmer who gave my brother the gospel over the back fence of the farm. How about that? The farmer who gave my brother the gospel over the back fence of the farm. That could be you. That could be you. That God uses you in some simple effort to ignite some great ministry that you have no idea about. You have no idea how that is. And so here they are. They're not Jewish. These people are not Jewish, yet they all come to faith through this entire non-Jewish woman. And so, look, this is a reason why we have the radio ministry. This is why the radio ministry from this church is in 50 states, 50 states on 500 radio stations. It's not to raise me up and make me think I have a big head in any way, shape, or form. It's about God has given us a responsibility of sowing the word of God. You understand? Why are we on the radio seven days a week in Southwest Florida? Because God has given us a responsibility to sow the word of God. And I'm pleased to tell you that in this church today are people who have come to this church specifically because they were inspired by the radio message. 
How about that? That's what it's about, you see? That's what it's about. We're not on the radio to raise money. We never ask for money. You'll never hear any of the messages that I do pander for money. We're not like that. We are out delivering the unadulterated word of God. That's our responsibility, to sow the word of God. Now, others will harvest it, and I'm okay with that. You understand? I'm okay with that. But I want to be part of the sowing team in a very important way. And so Jesus is making it very clear in this section of Scripture, three very clear things. First, there was one team working as a group uh, in the same field, one team. Second, there were two seasons. There was a planting season and, and a sowing season and a gathering season. Third, there were two types of workers. There were sowers and there were reapers. Uh, gardeners and harvesters. Both were vital in every possible way. And so you cannot reap if someone has not sown. You understand? And so we rejoice together. I suspect that we probably need more gardeners than harvesters. How about that? I suspect that that's the case. That means there's a place for you in the kingdom of God, as we discuss evangelism, uh, even if you do not fancy yourself a good closer. How about that? Okay? I don't want you to be thinking about, oh, how am I going to pull them in? How am I going to bring them in? Don't let God handle that. But instead, your job is to sow. Your job is to spread the word. Your job is to tell them about Jesus. Your job is to tell them what Jesus has done to your life, how your life has been changed forever. These are the kind of things you can tell. This is what God wants you to do. Uh, and so it's okay to sow. You understand? You don't have to harvest if God has not called you to harvest. And so here's a sermon point. There is an essential emptiness in every life without Christ. I want you to reflect on that. I want you to reflect that as you look at people without Christ, not, it's not just that they don't have eternal life. It's that their life here is empty. They are empty because without Christ, there is a hole in every single person's life. Romans 8 verse 20 makes it clear that there's a God-shaped vacuum in every life that only Christ can fill. Look at the verse on the board. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Don't you recognize that this world is fallen? Don't you recognize when you look at the weather patterns of this world that you see hurricanes come in and devastation come in? Do you think God created the world to do that? No, but when the uh, Garden of Eden fell, when Adam and Eve fell to temptation, when Satan came in and seized this world as his linchpin, then the evil from Satan has taken over the world. And so the world has fallen, you see. Not just humanity, but the creation itself. And the creation groans, you see, groans for salvation. You have to understand how, how critical this is. So every person without Christ is unconsciously groaning for Jesus. It's true. 
And so we can assume as this next sermon point that in our hearers, there is an intense loneliness. Loneliness. It is a loneliness for God. You see, people have a deep abiding sense of guilt. Why? Because God gave them a conscience, you see. When they were born, God gave them that conscience. And that conscience was effectively designed to be the radar in our life to draw us to Christ. Well, what happens when we ignore that? That conscience, you see, delivers guilt. Delivers guilt. A deep, abiding sense of guilt and loneliness. Uh, And so that's what God has done in order to bring them to faith. And so all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the mark, and that's what God has done to prepare us, to call us, to have a heart that seeks out Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is, the, is in the heart of every man that cometh into the world, the heart of every man that cometh into the world, whether they recognize it or not. And sermon point also on this is that we have to recognize that there is a universal fear of death. This is important. When you go out and you see people that are lost, you need to know they are afraid of dying. Now, they won't articulate this in many ways, but I can tell you, they're afraid of death. It is the fear of the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen to them after they die. But you see, you're different. You know specifically that God has sealed you and called you and that the day you pass from this world into the next, it's like a curtain parting. And as you put your foot through that curtain, Jesus is there waiting for you. That's what you're going to see. That's what you know. That's the faith that you have. That's what you need to tell the lost world. There's no need to be afraid of death. We worship the one who was raised from a tomb, who got up after three days and walked around for 40 days. And 500 eyewitnesses saw him. How's that for evidence? How's that for evidence? You understand? That's who we serve. That's the message, you see. That's the message of what we have to deliver to a lost world. When we see the empty, lonely, Guilty facade of people who are lost. That's your responsibility, you see. You have to sow that good news. If we are to care about people the way that Jesus did, then we have to love them and hate the sin. Sermon point. These people are not the enemy. They are sheep without a shepherd. God is looking for laborers to go out for the harvest. He is not looking for spectators or critics. You understand? Our job is to proclaim the gospel in a passionate, clear, biblical way. That's what God has called us to do. Uh, God's job is to convert them. Your job is not to convert them. Your job is is to prepare them for conversion. Amen, church? Uh, I read this passage about that great, great evangelist, D.L. Moody, uh, who once met a woman who walked up to him. He's a great evangelist. The precursor to Billy Graham, really. 
And Moody was asked by this woman, Mr. Moody, she said, I don't like the way you do evangelism. Oh, he said, well, I'm always open to correction and suggestions. What do you suggest? And she goes, how do you do evangelism? And she replied, well, I don't. And he replied, well, I like my way of doing it a lot better than your way. Okay? And I would say that's true. Okay? So any effort at evangelism is a lot better than no effort in evangelism. And this series is designed to ignite this in your heart. And so when you see a person come to Christ whom you've been praying for, uh, it is all worth it. You see it all come together. The Bible says there is more joy in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. The Bible makes that clear. The people are many. The needs are great. And God wants laborers. That's what he's designed us to do. I ask God to touch your heart today. Many of us fail because we relied on our own strength. We can't rely on our own strength. We have to rely on him. Conversion is the work of God alone. Not you. You're not saving people. You're just giving the message. But we must be a part of the field of laborers. And so my sermon point next is I feel that at this point our church must pray together that God raises laborers from this congregation. We will ask, will you ask God today to make you a laborer? Will you ask God to touch your heart? Will you ask God to help you to go out and sow the word of God? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart to obey the command of the Lord Jesus Christ? We have to be honest and re reflect on what it's like to live with that fear of death, with that guiltiness that hangs over us, with a, a conscience that never is, is satisfied, that hole in the heart that only Jesus can do. They're outside walking around as damaged goods. And God expects you to deliver the antidote. God expects you to deliver the prescription. Don't worry about closing. He'll close it. You give the message. Amen, church? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you've touched our hearts this morning on this incredible need for us as a congregation to go out and reach the lost. And yes, Lord, we know we may not be closers. We know we may not be harvesters, and we're fine with that, Lord, but we want to serve you where you call us. And so we want to sow the word. You've given us the grace to do it in a radio ministry, and now, Lord, I expect our people to go out into the parking lots, into the byways of this town, and, and at every single opportunity, speak to somebody about Jesus about how their life has been impacted forever because they've given their heart to you, Father. And when we do that, we recognize that we are following the Great Commission and that you will bring them in. You will close them, Father. We bow before your throne. We ask you to touch our people. Lift them up in every way. Protect them in every way. Let us be cognizant evermore of what it means to be blessed and, and a spirit of thanksgiving in this special week. Protect them all and bring them in again next week as we come and follow you, Lord, as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.